You ready to get into the message time today? So let's start off with a riddle, okay? There's one word that fits. What is, the, what is the one word that fits every one of these phrases, okay? Here we go. So we go to school to become equipped to get it. We spend 40 to 80 hours a week trying to get more of it. We invest countless hours in thought and how to handle it. We get caught up more than we care to admit in the idea that we don't have enough of it. Uh, we dream and scheme to figure out ways to get more of it. We... Uh, argue about it more than anything else. Some obsess over it to the point that they break the law to get more, and some, in fact, commit suicide because they lost too much. Some call it the root of evil. Other people call it means for great good. Have you figured out what I'm talking about? Money is what we're talking about. For those of you that are new, we kicked off a series right after Easter. We're calling The Church Is, and we're talking about some of the stereotypes uh, that often described the church. There was a survey done some time ago wherein the question was asked, why do you think most Americans don't go to church these days? And, you know, and if I came to, to Luke and I said, uh, Luke, why don't you go to church? Well, I put him on the spot. He's, he's going to make up something. He said, well, it's my only day with my family or something. But if I ask him why do most people, don't most people go, well, he doesn't know why most people don't go, but he knows the real reason why he doesn't go. And so the result is you get really honest answers. So it's a well-worded question for the purpose of getting honest answers. And here's what the National Survey said. You tell me if it's true locally as well. Uh, church is boring. It's irrelevant. Nothing going on there that has anything to do with what's going on in my life. I could take a, take a nap in my recliner. I don't have to sit and listen to some old guy talk, right? So that's, that's one of them. Uh, another one was churches are unfriendly. Anybody agree with that? I, I disagree with that completely. I think church people are the friendliest people on the planet. The problem is we tend to be friendly with each other and ignore everybody else. Another one they said, we talked about it last week, church is full of hypocrites, bunch of hypocrites out there. I've never quite understood why we don't say that about grocery stores. <laughs> I quit going to food line, the place is crawling with hypocrites, but I, nevertheless, you know, that's, that's one of the realities. And then today we're talking about the mother of all excuses, that church only cares about my money, I'm not going. So what we've been doing week after week is we've been asking ourselves the question, what have we done to earn that reputation? And more importantly, what are we going to do to break those barriers down? Because we live in a world that desperately needs Jesus and desperately needs the support of a church family. They need to invest their lives in those kinds of relationships, both for now and for forever. So why, how did we earn it? What are we going to do to remove it becomes the challenge for all of us. So today we're talking about this issue of money. And let's be honest, we've all done, churches have all done uh, more than our fair share of earning that reputation. Am I right? I mean, a lot of it's on us pastors because it's the way we present it sometimes. Far too many pastors, you know, will say, come on, dig deep. Come on, give till it hurts or give till it feels good. Or, or, or come on, reach into the pocket of the person beside you and give like you always wanted to. That's one of our favorites. We like to use that one. I know a church one time and they took the offering and, and the ushers actually counted the offering right in front of everybody and then gave the number to the pastor and the pastor said, we didn't meet budget. So while we sing this song, the plate's going again. And so they passed the plate again and they counted it again. There were three offerings in that service this morning until they, took, until they met budget. I mean, we, we, we send that message. Come on, the church needs your money. No wonder we've earned that reputation. 
And then you add TV evangelists into the mix of it who are out there begging for money all the time. It's kind of crazy. I heard a comedian one time said he had a lull in his, his, his career and he was depressed and he was at home. He wasn't getting any bookings and said he's you know, sitting in a beanbag chair eating Cheetos one day, flipping channels and trying to find something to watch. And he landed on Robert Tilton for a minute. He said, well, let's see what this guy's got to say. He said, lo and behold, Tilton said, are you depressed? Yes, sir. Are you sitting in a beanbag at home with nothing else to do? Yes, sir. Are you eating Cheetos right now? Yes, sir. Is God telling you to send me $1,000? Almost had me. (laughs) Not me. Hear me, guys. We've done a lot of stuff to create this reputation, but hear me. The problem is not that we talk about money in church. The problem is the motive for why we talk about church. The good news is God addresses money right up front. He heads up deals with it. The Bible is the best money management guide there is on the planet. There are over 2,000 passages in Scripture that deal directly or indirectly with the use of money. Two-thirds of Jesus' parables parables related to it made some references to finances. Guys, there's more about money in the Bible than there is heaven and hell combined. And in every case, God's motive is because he loves you. Everything he ever says about it comes out of his love for you. It's for your benefit. In fact, when Jesus came, look at what he said in John chapter 10, verse 10. You know this verse. If you've been around church very long at all, let's read it together. One, two, three, go. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Who's the thief? Anybody know? That's Satan. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the fullest. Why did I come? I came to give you this fulfilling life. And two-thirds of his parables had something to do with finances. He understood. Jesus understood something, and I need you to understand something. God doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your money. But if you don't learn to handle your money God's way, if you don't learn to manage your money God's way, the fulfilling life he promised you will always be just out of reach because we've already established that we spend more time thinking about how to manage, how to get more, how did we lose that, what are we going to do? We spend more time arguing about money than any other single thing. A a survey was done among divorced couples. 68% of them said that money was the number one thing they argued about. If you want a fulfilling life, understand managing your finances is at the heart of it. And it's not because God needs your money. He doesn't. He wants your heart. And he wants you to find a fulfilling life. Whoa, whoa, wait, 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 Pastor. So you're telling me God doesn't need my money. So you're telling me church doesn't need money to operate? What, God just pours it out of heaven? Is that what you're saying? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is if you will learn God's principles of finances, and if you'll learn to handle your finances God's way, you will have a fulfilling life, and the church will have all the money it needs to meet all the needs that it's called to meet just happens when you get these principles down. So in the few minutes that I've got with you today, I'm not going to take very long. I just want to give you fuel for thought, maybe challenge you a little bit, teach you something, maybe perhaps remind many of you of some things you already know. But I want to do two simple things. First of all, I want to show you a simple, biblically defined plan. It's not a straight jacket. Don't get all nervous. I'm going to take the joy. I'm going to create this legalistic news for you. That's not what it is. I want to give you a simple financial plan from Scripture. 
I, I've lived it for years. I've lived it for four decades, and I tell you it works. Rockefeller taught it. Uh, this is a principle that works. And then I want to challenge you to make three simple commitments that, quite frankly, you won't work the plan until you make the commitments. So let me show you the plan, teach you the commitments, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to go from this place going after the fulfilling life that Jesus promised for us. Is that worth a few minutes of our time? Is that, is that worth a few minutes? All right, let's get into it, okay? So here we go. Imagine that these 10 blocks represent your income. This is your paycheck every week. Those, those are your 10 blocks, okay? Got it? Let's get into it. What I want you to do is start thinking about the three categories that you're going to allocate this money to. There are three categories. Category number one is you're going to give some away. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to take one block off. We're going to set it over here and say, okay, one of the categories of how I'm going to dispense this wealth that I've been entrusted to is we're going to give some of it away. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits from all your crops. Now that first fruits may not be a term you use a lot every day, but it's a farming term that just means the best of the harvest. That when the harvest starts coming, this is the first, this is the best, that's what you're doing. And so what we're doing in giving first and making that the first category in our financial management plan is we're recognizing that frankly we wouldn't have any of it if it weren't for God. Well, wait a minute, I worked hard, I earned that money. Yeah, but who gave you the breath? Who gave you the talent? Who gave you the honor of being in this place where opportunities avail? I mean, who did, who did that? You didn't do that. Somebody did that. His name is God. So giving up front is a way to say up front, God, thank you for all I have. I'm going to honor you first. Now, here's the cool thing. True to God's character, when you do that, he turns it into a blessing for you. That's just how he does it. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, bring, to the, bring it to the storehouse. What's the storehouse? It's a place where the food is stored. So wherever it is that your soul is fed, that's where you bring it. So we're talking about the church, right? So bring it to the storehouse. Then he says, a tenth of what you gain. So it's one of those blocks out of those 10 blocks that represent your paycheck. Bring it in. Uh, and then he said, test me. Check it out. See what happens. Do this and watch what happens. It's the only place in all of Scripture where God gives us the privilege to prove him, to test him, to try him, to see if, in fact, he will honor his word. And then he says what's going to happen. When you do that, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out more blessings than you have room for. Not going to belabor this point. I just need you to understand that everybody I know who's living the fulfilling life that Jesus promised has settled that I'm going to handle the finances God blesses me with God's way. And the first category of the three is I'm going to give some away. Knowing, knowing that if I will do that, God will get supernaturally involved in the rest of it. And the result is that this will go further than this ever could have. And I believe that. And I know that. And I've proven that with my life. Many of you have proven it with yours. So that's the first category. Okay, ready for the second category? This isn't a message about giving. It's about helping you with your finances. Here we go. Second category is save some. Okay, you, you pay yourself next. You've worked hard. You've earned it. You ought to set some aside. So you take 10% off the top, you know, for long-range kind of saving. Now, this is, not, this is not mad money. This is not this year's vacation. This is long-term savings. I'm going to take this. I'm going to set it aside for a long time to come. Well, and I know as soon as I start talking about saving, immediately people start to say to me, well, Jim, I hear that. I would love to, but 
I just I can't afford to save. Well, here, all I can say to you is that Solomon was the wisest man uh, said to be uh, of his day, short of Jesus, the wisest man that ever lived, the richest man that ever lived. And here's what he said, Proverbs 21, 20, the wise person saves for the future, but the foolish person spends all he gets. I love the good news paraphrase of that verse. It's kind of straightforward. The good news paraphrase says, Stupid people spend their money as fast as they can get it. Now, this is a no-elbow zone, so if you're sitting with somebody who does that, do not throw elbows. That's not allowed in the bridge, okay? You just can't do that here. And I get it. I understand. I mean, this is the reality of where we live. I, in fact, I read just this past week from Forbes magazine some research on this thing. They said that one out of ten Americans who earn over $100,000 a year live paycheck to paycheck. One out of four don't save any amount of money any month. One out of four Americans. Three out of four Americans are in debt, and half of Americans believe that they will never get out of debt. 28% of American workers making between fifty dollars and $100,000 a year live paycheck to paycheck, and 70% of them are in debt. The problem is when you live paycheck to paycheck, more and more of these blocks go to paying interest on the credit cards that you're using to prop up your lifestyle because there's no reserve for when emergencies come. And before you know it, you wake up one day, not only can't afford to save, can't afford to give, but you're figuring out, I can't even afford to live on what I have. So the third part of the category, the third category that's critical, is you've got to learn to live within your means. So you've got give some, you've got save some, you've got to live within your means. Say it with me. You've got give some, you've got save some, you've got to live within your means. One more time. Give some, save some, live within your means. This is the part that goes to the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker. This goes to... To, you know, for your mortgage and for your groceries and for your clothes and, and for vacation and recreation. Some of this can even go to additional giving. Kim and I have a giving fund we've had for many years, and, and every month we'll put a little, after we've already done this and we've already done this, we'll put a little of this aside and, and just let it accumulate. So we call it our giving fund so that when we come across a need, we come across a family that's in trouble, or we come across a, a hurricane relief kind of thing, and we feel... Uh, tweaked in our heart to do something about it. We got the money to draw from. We don't have to try to figure out, do we buy groceries or do we do what God's leading us to do? No, we, we've got uh, some money set aside for that purpose. And so from this remaining fund, you live within your means and you set it aside for the things that God has done. Now, I don't mind telling you guys, Kim and I have been married for 43 years. We've been living by this plan we, and we do it by percentages. We do 10% to the Lord, 10% to savings, live within the 80%. Now, I'm not being legalistic with you. I'm not telling you, you've got to do my percentages. I'm just telling you that if you live by these principles, God will bless it in ways that you can hardly imagine. Because I live now at my age, having lived as a missionary for a third of our uh, our married life, and then planting new churches that can't afford to pay nothing. And I got more than I ever dreamed I'd ever have. And God has blessed our family more than I ever dreamed. In fact, at this point, we got enough money. We splurge a little bit every now and then. We'll, we'll go spend a couple of nights at Motel 6. You know, we just got to. 
Used to, we go to the movies, we sneak candy in. Now we actually buy the popcorn. We go large. <laughs> That's right. When you're on plan, here's what I'm saying. When you're on plan and you're honoring God first and you're setting some aside, you can spend this without feeling guilty. You can enjoy this. You worked hard for it. You earned it. You ought to enjoy it. Life is good. So say it with me. Give some, save some, live within your means. Come on. Give some, save some, live within your means. One more time. Give some, save some, live within your means. The problem, of course, if that's so simple, so easy, but... I know some of you are sitting there right now and you're thinking, there aren't enough blocks. I mean, it's fine. It can't be done. I mean, I'm having to, to do this and this and I'm still short. You know what I read the other day? The average American spends $1,300 for every $1,000 they earn. How do you spend $1,300 for every $1,000 you earn? It's called plastic. It's called credit cards. So here's what happens. In order to prop up a lifestyle that we can't afford, we use credit cards to inflate our income in order to live the way we feel like we're supposed to live. And the result is we find ourselves not able to give, not able to save, not even able to live within our means if we don't give or save. The result is financial stress, marital breakup, and all the things that are associated with it. And guys, let's be honest, that's where a lot of Americans, that's where a lot of us live. So don't get a handle on it just because you got a plan. Give some, save some, live within your means sounds so easy, but you're just not going to get there because i got a plan now. Because the issue is not how much you earn. Did I mention the, the people that live, that make over $100,000 a year, most of them live paycheck to paycheck? It's not about how much money you got. In fact, Rick Warren said it this way, the problem's not with your earnings, it's with your yearnings. We got to get a handle on that. So shift gears with me, and I want to give you three challenges to consider, to reflect on, and to pray about. I, that will help you to begin to live within this plan that I believe the scriptures laid out for us clearly, the one that God says he will bless and multiply, and he'll make this go further than this ever could have stacked together. Simple plan, but, but, but a challenge for all of us. First of all, you've got to retire debt. you, you just got to retire debt. Remember I mentioned 70% of Americans are in debt. Half of them don't believe they're ever going to get out of it. And, and so here's, here's what happens. Here's, here's the tragedy. Because we start trying to increase our income with credit cards and debt, we wound up having interest expenses on top of living expenses, which requires us to say, well, I can't afford to save anything because I've got this bill to come. Well, I can't afford to give anything because I've got this bill coming. And before you know it, we've stacked this up so high that it becomes a house of cards. So what do we do? We refinance our house to empty our credit cards and we just start all over again. What we've got to learn to do is start retiring debt, getting out from under debt. If I asked you what was the most powerful force in your life, most of you would say, love, family, church, Jesus. Oh, those wonderful things. You know what the most powerful thing in many of your lives are? Compound interest. 
compound interest. Am I saying don't ever take on a debt? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm saying every time you take on a debt, you give away a slice of your freedom, and you ought to retire that. You ought to get out of that debt mentality. Here's what the Bible says, Proverbs 22, 7. The borrower is the slave of the lender. Pastor Jim, that sounds really harsh. Slave? That's, I don't know if I'd use that word or not. Well, I'm not sure what other word you want to use. Because in my experience, when you have a debt, the lender says, pay me. Pay me first. Well, well, I'm trying to honor God first. Well, that's real nice. Pay me first. Well, we're kind of in a tight spot right now. We can't afford to pay you. Well, okay, fine. I'm going to put a lien on your property. Have a nice day. If that's not bondage, I don't know what it is. And so it really is a bondage situation that we need to get out of. And again, I'm not saying all debt is bad. I, you know, a, a mortgage on an appreciable asset or, or a well-crafted business plan, there, there are times when debt's appropriate. I'm just saying be careful because every time you sign up for a debt, you're giving some of your freedom away. And this thing called compound interest will eat your lunch. Can, can I take a minute and show you? I'm going to, but it's just nice to ask permission. <laughs> In order to finance this, this $1,300 for every $1,000 equation, here's what we do. We, we, we accumulate uh, balances on our credit cards. Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. The average American has $5,330 on their credit cards. The average American has two and a half credit cards. I don't know you have half, but anyway, that's what they say. So let's just take one of your credit cards. $5,330 on your credit card. The average credit card uh, interest rate is 16.8. Some are higher, some are lower, but the average is 16.8. So think with me for a minute. I'm going to throw some numbers at you, see if you can track with me, okay? If you cut your card up, if you never use it again, you just got that $5,330 balance, and you make the minimum payment every month to keep them off of your back, it will take 26 years and four months to pay off that $5,300. During that time, you will have paid back not $5,330, but $17,751.62 with nothing to show for it because you can't remember what you spent the $5,300 for because it was consumer debt. You consumed it. It was a long time ago. $17,000 it cost you. Now, reverse that. Get on the other side of the compound interest equation. Let's say you make the same minimum payment into a, into a mutual fund of some sort that pays 7%. So $53.30, just start there, $53.30. And then every month put $53.30 into that mutual fund and let it accumulate. Over the same 26 years and four months, you will accumulate $49,575.20 in your account count with the same $53.30. The only difference between $17,000 paid with nothing to show for it versus $49,000 that's available to you to go hang out at Motel 6 if you want <laughs> is you're on the right side of the compound interest equation. Only difference. So what I'm saying to you is be careful about debt. Do your best to not live debt. I'm not saying don't ever have any debt. I'm just saying do your best to live debt free and, and let the debts that you've got now begin to work to retire those things because that interest is eating you alive from doing the plan. Give some, save some, live within your means. So we got, we're out of debt now. <laughs> we're living on plan. 
problem solved, right? God bless you. Thanks for coming to church today. What's the problem? We just go right back. Unless we take challenge number two. Challenge number two, which is even harder, is get a handle on your spending. Learn to control your spending. Let's be honest, guys. All of us at one time or another have found ourselves with this uncontrollable urge to buy stuff. <laughs> so we just need to buy some stuff. And I think there's lots of reasons why. I've thought of seven that I thought I'd share with you right quick, see if you relate to any of them. Again, this is a no-elbow-throwing zone, but let's see if you relate to these so we can deal with them. Uh, for some people, uh, spending is an impulse thing. It's an impulsive spending is a big deal. I mean, some of you have gotten all fired up about give some, save some, live within your means before. You fully intended to stick with it. But, but one day, a few weeks in, you're driving by this store and you see this big orange sign in the window that says clearance sale. And before you know it, your car turns into the parking lot and you didn't even turn the steering wheel. It's just going into the parking lot and you're walking in going, save, save. I'm going to, saving is a good thing. I'm going to save some money. 50% off. Wow. I'm going to save. Instead of $200, it's $100. I'm going to save $100. You understand the problem? <laughs> Is that marketing people have redefined the word save. Save used to mean take some, put it away, and leave it there. I don't want to insult your intelligence, but that's what it, it actually meant. I'm old enough to remember what it meant that. Okay? What does it mean now? Spend less than you thought you were going to spend. Whole new meaning to the word save. And so sometimes we'll get caught in this, well, I ain't got the cash in my pocket, but I got plastic. Ha <laughs> ha. And it's amazing how easy it is to rationalize our spending when we are saving money. Other people are not impulsive as much as they are compulsive, and that's a sad one. There's an unmet need in their life. Sometimes we're not even aware of that unmet need, that hole in our soul, but rather than find out what it is and address it, we spend money as an escape. We, we self-medicate by buying stuff. And I know some of you are sitting there thinking, man, that's really sad. Not me. I've never done anything like that. But hear me, guys. Every one of us, the best of us, have had occasions when we were feeling kind of low and we thought, you know, if I just had that dress, if I just had that boat, if I just had that computer, I'd feel better. It's an easy trap to fall into even though it lands you in a prison cell of debt. Revenge spending is one that breaks my heart every time I've seen it over the years, particularly married couples. I've seen husbands uh, do it to wives and wives to husbands. Well, I'll show her. I'm going to buy that gun if I want it. I don't care if we can afford it. I'm going to buy that dress whether we can afford it or not. I don't care what he says. And so we just give me my visa, man. I'm headed out. Revenge spending can get you in trouble. Boredom spending is one that I see a lot of, but it makes, it just doesn't compute for me. I don't get this one at all. I mean, we're talking about, I'm sitting around, I'm bored, so I think I'll go shopping. Shopping as a recreation 
does, just doesn't compute for me, but I know people that do it, and we go out and buy something we don't need or necessarily even want because we're bored. I don't get the payoff in that, but a lot of people do. In fact, I'll just throw this in and we'll move on. If you're bored and you've got time on your hands, give us a call. We've got stuff at the church. We'd be glad to give you something meaningful to do, and it won't cost you a dime. We'll just put you to work. Let you take advantage of the opportunities, okay? Here's one that a lot of us get caught up in. I have in time past. I just simply call it special interest spending. That, that's, that's, that's where we stay on plan. We're working the plan. Everything's going good. But there's one area of interest that I really like, and the newest, latest, greatest version of it comes out, and I have to have it. But you don't know what that computer can do. You don't know what that smartphone can do. You don't understand what that car can do and the features on that new car. You don't understand, and I really need this. I need it. And so before you know it, this one thing, everything else is doing great, but this one thing pulls us off plan. Before you know it, we're saying, well, you know, I really can't afford to, to give. I really can't afford to save. I got no conversation with a guy not too long ago, and he, he bought a Harley, and he'd wanted a Harley for years, and I said, man, I bet you're enjoying that Harley. He said, well, I was for a while. And then I realized that I financed it by I don't save anymore and I don't give anymore. And I've kind of lost the joy in it. You see, you, anything that pulls you off of this plan also pulls you away from the fulfilling life that Jesus promised and that we all want. So whatever the issue is, be careful about that one. Sixth one that I have seen an awful lot of, I've fallen prey to myself, I just call it status spending. It starts when we're young, we go to school, and our classmates have this outfit or those shoes, and come home and say to mom and dad, I got, I got to have those shoes. All of the kids have these shoes, you know, and, and you get older, and, 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 and it doesn't change. I still remember when I was 12, Roy Hawkins, that lived across the street from me, got a new bike. He got a 26-inch Schwinn red with white trim. <clears throat> some of you are not going to relate to this, but some of you are old enough to. Uh, uh, High-rise handlebars with tassels. <laughs> and a banana seat. Anybody old enough to remember banana seat? Banana seat. And he, man, he could take this thing, he could slide back on that banana seat and pop a wheelie with those high-rise handlebars, and he did it on purpose, rode back and forth in front of my house, and I've got to have that bike. I have to have a bike. And so I begged and begged and begged and saved and saved and saved, and I finally got my 26-inch Schwinn, and I rode by his house with my bike. And then he got one of them generator things that rides on the wheel and generates electricity, so he had a headlight on his. I'm, oh, man, I can't. Can't keep up with the Joneses because they refinanced. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying is, is, is we push ourselves and we get off plan to try to keep up with other people who are doing the same thing to keep up with us. If you're struggling with that, Understand, guys, this is not about math. This is about heart. It's not about what we do. It's about who we are and where we go for our fulfillment in life. So the real secret to getting a handle on your finances, yes, we need a plan. 
What we need a plan that honors God first, a plan that sets some aside uh, for the future. We need a plan that where we live within our means, that we don't fall into the trap of impulse or compulse or, or, or status spending or any of those kinds of things. What we need a plan. But at the end of the day, if we're really going to get a handle on this thing, we've got to look at the root of the issue, not just the fruit of the issue. And the root of the issue is where am I putting my trust? Where am I finding my fulfillment? Where do I look for satisfaction? And as long as you're putting your trust in stuff that can be taken away, you're going to be left insecure. As long as you're looking for your fulfillment in something that will rust and fall apart, you're not going to be fulfilled. As long as you're putting your hopes in something that can be stolen, you're never going to find the fulfillment you long for. That's why the third challenge is the most important one of everything I've talked to you about this morning, is that you've got to learn to trust God. Come to that place to genuinely believe that the God of the universe knows you by name. He knows every hair on your head. He knows every detail of your lives, and he loves you. He loves you just the way you are. He loves you too much for you to stay the way you are. He wants you to grow, but he loves you just the way you are right now. And he wants you to have a fulfilling life. He wants you to have satisfaction. He wants you to have fulfillment in life. He made you on purpose, with a purpose. And if you put your trust in him instead of on stuff that doesn't last, you'll finally begin to find it, but you've got to learn to trust him. We sang the song this morning, you're going to be my foundation. I'm going to put my trust in you. When you finally get there, that's when fulfillment finally starts to arise because Jesus came, he said, he came expressly so that we could find freedom. Luke chapter 4, verse 18, the Lord appointed me to tell the good news to the poor. He has sent me to, to uh, tell the captives they are you don't have to live in this bondage you don't have to live in that rat race you don't have to live trying to prop yourself up by stuff that doesn't last you can put your trust in God and he can begin to fulfill you and true to his character in the process bless you but it requires that you put your trust in him my question to you is where are you putting your trust do I want you to work plan? Sure I do. Do I want you to get a handle on your debt and your spending? Of course I do. But it all begins by making the decision, I choose to trust the Lord. When Jesus hung on the cross, one of his last words was tetelestai, which is actually an accounting term that says it's paid in full. All that stuff that's weighing you down is paid for. It was paid for on the cross by Jesus Christ. You can be free if you'll trust him. In fact, I'm going to ask you to pray that prayer with me right now. Just very quietly. You can bow your head. In this moment, we're just going to pause for a minute. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way, single anybody out. But I am going to ask you to join me in a simple prayer.
in the quietness of this moment, just reflect on just how central to our lives and our fulfillment this thing called money tends to be. Join me in embracing the idea that I want to be free from the bondage of that. I want to enjoy what God blesses me with. And I know the answer at the end of the day is to trust in Jesus rather than trusting in stuff. And that's where you are. Would you pray that prayer? Maybe you've never prayed a prayer like this before in your life. Maybe you've been living this way for a long time, but still you find yourself drawn back sometimes. Let's just pray a simple prayer together. Do it silently, aloud, do it in your own words if you want. But let it go something like this. Jesus, I need you to help me be free from the bondage of debt. I need you to help me get a handle on my spending and stop trying to fill a hole in my soul with stuff. I want to live within my means. I want to honor you first. I want to set some aside. But I don't honestly see myself getting there without you being at the center of my life. So forgive me for not handling money your way. Give me a fresh start today. Help me to retire debt, control spending, demonstrate that I trust you by giving some, saving some, living within my means. In Jesus' name, Father, you know who's praying, you know the stresses that are related to this subject across the families that are represented here. I pray for healing and health and hope and fulfillment in Jesus' name.